In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. Today we have a very exciting episode. Unfortunately, it is uh, Trump and voting and Trump and voting and Trump and voting. <laughs> um, Basically. Yeah. But, but there is one very exciting thing about today's episode. Today is our 56th episode. And today is also my dad's 56th birthday are you kidding me no i am not it finally happened we're as old as your dad is you're as old as my dad to the day (laughs) man that is that is serendipitous i've been waiting for for so long to make that joke man that's awesome you've been setting it up for months i've been setting it up and i it it was totally planned by the way like i totally planned this yeah wow you're a mastermind (laughs) well yeah maybe i should maybe i should do a podcast or something I don't. I feel like if you can orchestrate that years in advance, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you can do other things. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we'll start off by talking about um, some of the implications of Trump's attempts to delay the transition of power to the Biden administration, and then we'll uh, have a conversation about keeping the pressure on um, for not only policy changes but also, uh, you know. Uh, keeping Democrats in power and gaining more power in 2018, or pardon me, in uh, 2022 and beyond. Um, Because even with Trump out of office, um, you know, it's not just Trump that makes the Republican Party not great for for us. Um, And lastly, we'll have a conversation with a special guest about um, the latest and, I don't know, Maybe least substantiated claim about voter fraud. Um, that's a bold coming claim. out of the Trump. Yeah, the it's, it's least pretty, substantiated. That's I know. That's tough competition. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, so yeah. So we'll talk about some of the, his claims about um, voter fraud caused by the Dominion voting uh, system, um, and yeah, we'll have some some input from a guest at that time who you'll hear about then. Yeah. So to begin, though, Michael, um, has COVID gotten any better? Oh, no. No, good God damn it has gotten way worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so currently, worldwide, uh, 56.5 million people have gotten COVID, which is up from 53.4 million last week. So that's 3.1 million new cases in one week, uh, which is a 5.8% increase in the total cases um, ever. Uh, and so far, 1.35 million people have died from COVID, which is up from 1.29 million last week, which is a 4.6% increase in total deaths. And in the US, 11.8 million people have gotten COVID, mm-hmm. which is up from 10.7 million last week. So that's a 1.1 million case increase in one week. Ouch. Yeah, that's a that's a 10 10.3% increase in total cases. Um that's nearly twice 
the increase on a percentage basis that the world experienced this week. They had an increase of 5.8%. We had an increase of 10.3%. And that 1.1 million cases is 35% of the world's new cases. Yeah. Like the U.S. is going in the wrong direction much faster than the rest of the world. At this point, we've had 256,000 deaths, which is up from 247,000 last week. So that's 9,000 more deaths since we last recorded. And remember, for the past few weeks, we've been pretty steady at, at 7,000 uh, more deaths each week when, when you guys hear from us. Well, that's you know 9,000 this week. That's a pretty big increase. Um, yeah, that's nearly 1,300 people dying from COVID per day. So, you know. Honestly, not- I don't even I don't even have a joke. I yeah. uh, <laughs> I usually make a snarky comment yeah. about Trump, but he seriously well, fucked this thing up. Not to, not to sing my own tune, but uh, we are so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just just think about that. Like, the rest of the world is experiencing a wave as well, but they have had an increase of about 5%, and we've had an increase of about 10%. Yeah. We are uniquely bad, and it's because of this idiotic response. And the worst part of it, and this leads us into our first segment, is the fact that because Trump is refusing to concede the election, is refusing to even allow for Joe Biden to start getting uh, intelligence briefings, is refusing to allow Joe Biden's staff to start working alongside Trump's staff in the White House in order to facilitate a nice smooth transition of power. The Biden presidency will not be able to take off the way that it needs to in order to fight this pandemic, mm-hmm. which means that thousands of people will die because of the stupid narcissistic impulses of Donald Trump. Yeah, yet again. The number one expert in the country, Dr. Fauci, has not been able to talk to Joe Biden yet. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and the thing is, he can't because even if he, if he tries, Trump's just going to fire him. Yeah. Because Trump <laughs> is still pretending that he won the election. He's been rage tweeting, oh my God, I win. I win the election. I win the election by quite a lot. I mean, his own ambition will cause thousands of more people to die. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, his ambition is futile to begin with. Like, yeah, exactly. he is going to be removed from office. He he was voted out. He lost the election. There's nothing yeah. he can do to prevent that. All he's doing, like, he, he's, it's not going to result in him staying in office. All it's going to do is prevent the Biden administration from being able to fight the pandemic that he that he fucked up so badly on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there is not only consequence to our democracy from Trump trying to undermine the the legitimacy of the election and trying to delay, but there are real impacts on our security as a nation, the safety of our people, the lives of our people. Um, so it's, it's just not, it's just not one of those, um, just, it's not just another norm that Trump has disregarded and, 
you know, well, you know, what are norms? Who cares about those? This has like real implications for the ability of the Biden administration to hit the ground running, save lives and make policy progress. Um, so like when, when Republicans came out after the election and said things like, you know, well, we're just humoring him. Like what, what's the harm? This is the harm. Like yeah. the fact that the fact that, um, there are reports that privately, um, Republican officials know that this election is over, but they're refusing to come out publicly and, and put pressure on Trump. Now, more and more to their, to their credit are coming out every day, trying to, to get Trump to, um, start the transition. Um, but the fact that it's not this, it's not like the whole party coming and saying it's time yeah. is a problem and it's putting us all in danger. Yeah. Like, most GOP senators have not even referred to Joe Biden as president-elect yet. Yeah. And look, they don't have to congratulate him. I don't care if they congratulate him or not. Like, you know, I sure as hell didn't congratulate Donald Trump when he won, uh, when he won his election. Mm -hmm. I don't expect you to do that. I don't expect you to like it. I expect you to acknowledge reality. Yeah. Like I, I don't think that that should be a partisan ask at this point. Yeah. And, and the <laughs> reality is highly partisan. Nathan. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Well, you know, um, I've heard like a thousand different versions of who said this. I'm not sure who actually first said this, but facts do have a well-known liberal bias. <laughs> um, but the refusal to acknowledge the reality of the fact that Joe Biden was elected president is resulting in like is going to result in more damage done based on the pandemic mm. is resulting in damage done to how we are viewed around the world. Yeah, sure. sure. I mean, the United States for the longest time has been considered this beacon of democracy, this grand experiment where we had this large country that tried democracy and it worked really well. And, you know, other countries looked up to us because of that. Other countries viewed us as a leader because of that. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking at what's happening. They're seeing the fact that Trump is just refusing to concede, refusing to acknowledge it, claiming that he won the election, stoking resentment among his supporters. And that is losing us influence around yeah. the world. And look, before anybody tries to make a stupid false equivalency argument, let me remind you, the day after Trump won the election in mm -hmm. 2016, the day after it was called, Hillary Clinton conceded. Day after that, Barack Obama met Donald Trump in the White House. And he actually, like, he actually worked well with the Trump transition team. In fact, Trump even acknowledged that in mm -hmm. 2016. Trump even said, you know, Obama has been great for us. He's, he's, been, he's been great in working with our transition team. Even Trump acknowledged that. Yeah. I mean, hell, in 2000. Yeah, exactly. When the Supreme Court effectively stole the election for George W. Bush... Bill Clinton still had a smooth transition of power. He still made sure that there was a smooth transition of power and a peaceful transition of power. There's no equivalence to this. This is yeah. unprecedented. 
You don't do this in the United States. You just yeah. don't. I mean, even even George Bush, like the night of the election. Now, it was called pretty early in the evening, but like the night of the election, his GSA sent over um, the letter of ascertainment to Barack Obama's team so that they could start working on, on a transition to power. So I, I do want to put some of this into context because like not only are there all of these, you know, implications about how we're viewed in the world and whether they're going to be able to like hit the ground running on the pandemic. There's also just the basics of running the government, which is hurt by this. Like, like it or not, our government serves a lot of functions. There are millions, like over a million people that work in some capacity related to the federal government. It is a huge organization. So imagine if you worked for a company that had over $5 trillion in expenses and, and managed $20.6 trillion in assets and all of the bosses in that company that lead every department had to change in less than 80 days. Like, you would be shitting yourself <laughs> because, like, this is under the perfect circumstances, an incredibly complex task that is not only covered in, like, people getting security clearances and getting affirmed by Congress with, with over, um, over a thousand people that have to be, that have to go through confirmation of some, of some form or another. Not only does it have to work through all that stuff, you've got to transition the jobs of these people. Like these people need to become experts in, in just doing the daily tasks of running a government and they can't afford to miss a beat because missing a beat is a problem. There are nearly, there are 4,000 positions that will have to be reviewed and filled or confirmed, um, in this, in this time frame. And, and that's just to keep the lights on, to keep the government running. Um, now, and, and so not only is it problematic that Trump himself is preventing his agencies and his cabinet from beginning to work and share information with the Biden administration, um, the fact that the General Services Administrator, Emily Murphy, are um, because uh, that administrator hasn't officially determined the apparent winner of the presidential election, um, it's holding up almost $10 million in funding that is, is in the budget in order to help um, facilitate this transition of power. That is, that is things like um, salaries for the people that are going to be, um, you know, for, for the mo like the doubling up of people in positions for these jobs, that is things like office space. So these people have a place to work. So right now running on fumes from their presidential campaign, I'm sure they're not, they can't have that much money left. They probably spend it on trying to win election. They're tr the Biden administration is trying to put together, um, and get these people working with, you know, without, almost $10 million in funds um, to keep them going over, over this next period. But unfortunately, there, there are like no clear rules on how the GSA is um, supposed to 
uh, determine who this who the president elect is. Now, typically, it's when the election is called by major news organizations. But in this case, she's um, she's really holding up the process, and um, and for no reason. Like we went through last week, all these lawsuits that even if Trump literally won every one of them, wouldn't overturn the results of this election. Like, as a reminder, Biden has 306 electoral votes. That's 36 more than he needs in order to be the president of the United States. This yeah. election is not going anywhere. And yet she's holding this process up, saying she needs to see a clear winner. Well, there is one. This is not... Bush v. Gore. This is not the election of 2000. It's not a disputed election in any serious way. So the fact that this Trump appointee is holding up this process, putting us in danger, um, and is seems to me to be a, a pretty severe dereliction of duty. Yeah, absolutely. Also, you know, to Michael's point, we, we, we brought up a lot of the cases that the Trump administration has been trying to do last week on the pod. Um, and as the week has gone on, more and more of those have been dropped. Now, most of them have actually been dropped by the actual by the actual Trump campaign. Mm -hmm. Like many of them have just been laughed out of court, but many of them have also been dropped by the actual Trump administration. And the thing is, the the overall election security was actually confirmed recently. Yeah. So. Currently, uh, the director of the Department of Homeland Security's Cyber Security uh, and Infrastructure Agency, uh, whose name is uh, Christopher Krebs, he recently put out a statement after reviewing the security of the election, and he said this was actually one of the most secure elections that we've ever had. Like, yeah. there's there's no evidence of large-scale tampering. There's no evidence of... Uh, you know, large-scale voter fraud, this was one of our most secure elections that we've had. And so naturally, when he said that, Trump was like, oh, well, there's an expert who I appointed <laughs> who has overwhelming, who had over, was uh, nominated with overwhelming bipartisan support. So obviously, I'm going to defer to his judgment and, uh, you know, drop all my cases. <laughs> no, Trump immediately fired him. Like, Trump immediately fired him, saying, quote, there were massive improprieties and fraud, including dead people voting, po poll watchers not allowed into polling locations, glitches in the voting machines, which changed votes from Trump to Biden, late voting, and many more. Therefore, effective immediately, Chris Krebs has been terminated. So let me just walk through each of those uh, claims. Um, massive improprieties and fraud. That's a lot. Nope. Like, <laughs> no, that, that's just that's just not true. Uh, dead people voting. So the reports on Fox News that they keep bringing up of, oh, here's an example of a dead person voting. Here's an example of a dead person voting. Basically, all of those were actually looked at in each of the cases. They, they were looked at by uh, local news agencies and they found mm -hmm. out that, no, I, this was a case of mistaken identity. Um, the person who voted was actually somebody who was alive who just had the same name as someone who was dead. Um, 
Like there were, I think there were. Wait I, a second, I, Nathan. Two people can't have the same <laughs> name. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there I, are three hundred and twenty in million individual names in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> and and in fact, there was only one case that I read about that was actually legit, where there was this guy who uh, voted for voted um, as his mother, uh, as his dead mother. Um, it was immediately caught and flagged because they knew that she was dead. Mm-hmm. And the best part is he was a Republican. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, that's the only individual case that I've seen. And, you know, even if that was a Democrat, like, that's one vote in yeah. Pennsylvania. And it's been found so far. So, <laughs> so that's bullshit. Uh, yeah. Poll watchers not being allowed into polling locations. Like, Michael even read the transcript from a court case where they were alleging that poll workers weren't allowed in there. Mm -hmm. And the judge straight up asked them, are there, do you have poll watchers in there? And they're like, there's a non zero number of people. (laughs) And then the judge was just like, okay, then what's your problem? (laughs) So they either mean there are negative people or there's at least a one poll watcher. Non zero number. So anyways, so that's not true. Yeah. Uh, glitches in the voting machine again that's not true that's been investigated mm-hmm. by uh krebs department and that's just it's just been debunked yeah and um, we'll talk more about that later later today so none of those are true you know this is a case of trump basically shooting the messenger yeah and it's just it's dangerous it's it's anti-intellectual borderline postmodernist philosophy gone horribly wrong <laughs> and i'm sure that attack will resonate very well with our <laughs> listeners <laughs> that's just that's one they can really relate to <laughs> man you know fuck postmodernism <laughs> <laughs> well to put it to put it in, in slightly more concrete terms like this is not the first time that a presidential transition has had to be delayed, right? Like Nathan talked about the election of 2000 and yeah, that, that transition went really fast once it was started and was, it was as smooth as they could make it, but it was a disputed election that the, uh, you know, it had to work its way through the courts. It was a relatively late start to that transition. And the, the nine 11 commission report, um, found that quote, uh, this loss of time, hampered the new administration in identifying, recruiting, clearing, and obtaining Senate confirmation of key appointees ahead of the 9-11-2001 attacks. Um, and they, they recommended that disruptions be avoided, noting that the British administration didn't have a team on the job with critical sub-cabinet officials for at least six months, making the team less prepared to deal with the September 11 attacks. Um, and, and multiple officials, uh, experts in, in the presidential transition and also in, in foreign security, have warned about the potential national security risk of a poorly executed transition. Like, you'll have people on the jobs that, don't, that aren't fully effective at doing their jobs yet. And that's, that's something that foreign governments will be aware of and foreign adversaries will be able to take advantage of. Um, 
for example, David Marchik, director of the Center of Presidential Transition, warned, quote, failure to have a smooth transition could put our national security, our economic security, and our health security at risk. And this against the backdrop of Mike Pompeo saying that they are that the State Department is preparing for a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. I'm calling it's, it now a criticism of the Biden administration by Republicans, by Fox News, is going to be how unprepared they were to take the presidency. <laughs> like, I'm calling it now. They're yeah. going to criticize him for that. They're going to criticize him for the fact that they weren't able to get security clearances um, fast enough for all of the for all of the various people that are going to be working in the yeah. Biden administration because, like, they weren't able to use this time in order to prepare for that. Mm -hmm. uh, for for cabinet appointees, setting up cabinet appointees, uh, working alongside the Trump administration during the uh, the transition. Like, I'm calling it now. He's going to get criticized for that. Yeah, I'm calling it now. I wouldn't be surprised to see it. And what makes this all the more frustrating is that we, like our system is not set up to wait until all the votes are certified before we start this process, right? The GSA is allowed to um, begin dispersing funds, which is the official beginning of the transition um, when an apparent winner comes forward. Yeah. They can also start the transition process of certain information even before the election has taken place. Because we know that we know that um, presidential candidates put together their transition teams months and months in advance. But the thing is, this is all about the political narrative that Trump is trying to push that he's not conceding, that he's not going anywhere. Um, because there's actually nothing that would that that's in conflict with allowing the Biden administration to access the funds and um, the organizations necessary for this transition transition before the election is certified, even if the election were to then somehow, uh, which it's not going to, but even if it were to go back to Trump, there's nothing that says that we can't get started on this now. The problem is just that the Trump administration doesn't want it to look like he's giving any ground at all. And that vanity, that ego, is putting our national security, our health security, and our national interest uh, at risk. It's really despicable to see, but unfortunately, yeah. not, dis not surprising. One of the things that I think is important to point out is the fact that, and, and this might seem obvious, but Donald Trump is still the president. And he will continue to be the president until January 20th. And as much as we might celebrate the fact that he lost re-election, as much as we might celebrate the fact that he's only a one-term president, that Joe Biden is going to become the president, as much as we might celebrate that, there is still plenty of time for Trump to do damage. Mm -hmm. I mean, just recently it came out that he was considering bombing Iran. Mm-hmm. Which I yeah. think is kind of funny because at the same time, there's a report that came out today that said he was wanting to withdraw all troops from Iraq and Afghanistan, which is something that I that I totally agree with. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, I, know. I saw that and I was like, huh, well, if he does that, I'm like, I'm all set to give him credit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like. Yeah, but he I, just fired Mark Esper. 
He's the yeah. head of the Pentagon. It's like, so how is that even going to happen? I, <laughs> well, and, but the thing is like, why is he, why is he firing key people in his administration at this late hour? Yeah. Like why add more tumult to this process? Being, having all hands on deck is really important throughout this process because it is the it is like the main job of the president and the president elect during this period to transition this presidency effectively and like adding adding more trend like uh, yeah like more uncertainty more tumult to the process i don't know how this guy ever managed even his real estate portfolio much less an organization much less the fucking united states of america And now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So, Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good? We do Tips for Good every week because that's the way, aha, aha, I like it. Aha, aha. And also because it makes the world a better place. Yes, yeah. I mean, like having the world be a better place is the way we like the world. Aha, aha, aha. Are there any That's other sure. lyrics in that song, or is that just is that just it? I, I don't know. I can't imagine what <laughs> could follow that. <laughs> How did that become a hit? Like, it's just the same. You know, at least Gangnam Style had like other words in it. Oh yeah, Gangnam Style is a banger. <laughs> Love that I'm, song. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how that that one became a hit. Um, <laughs> but anyway, today our tip is another pretty practical one, and it's COVID related. So, um, you may not be aware of this because it has been so poorly discussed and publicized. It's really a shame. Um, but. Did you know that on your iPhone, or if you have some other phone, it's probably on there too. I don't know. I don't have all those other phones. Um, you have the capability to install an anonymous COVID exposure tracking app. It's awesome. Just go to your settings, scroll down, and there's, a, there's an entry called exposure notifications. Click it, and you enable it. And what it does is it, um, it shares and communicates with nearby cell phones in an anonymized way, stores and tracks um, your phone's close interactions with other phones. And then if you or anyone who you have come in, you've been nearby for a certain period of time, um, enters into the app that you've contracted COVID, it will go back, find all the people you've been near to that have this app in the last 14 days and notify them. Now, do your own research on like your privacy and how you feel about that stuff. Um, but the thing is, these apps only work if a lot of people use them. The good thing is, um, what you, the way you go through this process on your phone is it's actually not like Apple or Google that makes the app. This is just a path for you to go and find your state's independent um, but collaborating COVID app. Um, so yeah, if you feel comfortable, if you want to do that, um, if 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 a lot of people start using this app, we can all be a lot safer. A, a number of other countries have had a lot of success using similar 
COVID tracking apps. And that way they can do much faster contact tracing. They can do much faster notification of people that may or may not have been exposed. It's just a great idea. So if you are in Alabama, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Guam, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Washington, DC, or Wyoming, you have one of these apps. And if you're in Arizona, California, Hawaii, Oregon, or Washington, keep an eye out because there's an app heading your way at some point soon. Oh, I'm in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. So, yeah, if you're comfortable and uh, I, I have it enabled on my phone, I think it's a great idea. I think it's a way that um, if we can figure it out, we can lean into helping solve the COVID pandemic with technology. And that's tips for good. So now we're going to spend some time talking about what's next. What's next for us? And what should we be fighting in the future? So to set this up, Michael, I want to ask you a question. Okay. So when you think never Trump Republican, what's the first name that comes to mind? John Kasich. What's the second name that comes to mind? Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. <laughs> Sorry, John Kasich's always top of mind. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that is fair. But Mitt Romney. So, so let's... I just want to talk for a second about Mitt Romney. So there's a lot of things that I think is important to give him credit for. He was the only senator that voted to remove Donald Trump for attempting to solicit help from a foreign government to win a political election, which was a which was blatantly against the law. Mm -hmm. um, he has been critical of Trump from, well, I mean, there was a brief moment where he tried to suck up to Trump to be Secretary of State. But after that, <laughs> after he was not made Secretary of State, uh, for the most part, he's been pretty critical of Trump. He has been pretty direct in a lot of his criticism. Uh, he has not held back. And he was also one of the first senators, and so far only senators, to congratulate Joe Biden for winning the presidency. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's fair to say that Mitt Romney has principles. I think it's fair to say that he is a man of principle. I think it's fair to say that he is an actually principled conservative. You know, a principled conservative who actually does vote based on, uh, you know, the, the principle of, like, nobody is above the law, of law and order, of uh, limited government, and all of that. So there's a quotation that I want to read from him recently. He was in an interview with Jake Tapper in which he was talking about uh, what is next for him and what is next for the Republican Party. Um, and he said, quote, I want to make sure that we conservatives keep on fighting to make sure we don't have a Green New Deal, we don't get rid of gas and coal and oil, and that we don't have a Medicare for all plan. So I completely agree with the sentiment that Mitt Romney is a principled conservative. But here's the issue. Conservative principles fucking suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I respect the fact that when I disagree with Romney, I'm disagreeing with Romney. 
Like yeah. I'm disagreeing with his positions. You know, I'm not disagreeing with positions that he um, might have flipped on or priorities that he might have flipped on. For the most part, I'm disagreeing with him. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, he's wrong about yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. And I think that this is a good opportunity to expand on a point that we made last week, which is the fact that never Trump Republicans, you know, it was fine to use them as allies against Trump to help take down Trump, but they are not our friends. Yeah. And the thing is, Trump was never the problem. Yeah, he was exactly. a massive problem. Yeah. And it was essential that we removed him. But there are so many things that led up to him. Economic strife, the desire for economic populism, feeling disenchanted with our system, disdain for corruption, disdain for politicians caring more about like arbitrary norms than actually helping people. There's a lot that allowed a demagogue like Donald Trump to become president. Com you know, Republicans being complicit with the worst impulses of their base. Mm -hmm. You know, Mitch McConnell obviously never believed the birther conspiracy, but he never like he never took any time to actually condemn it. Mm -hmm. Like because he knew that it would help him win. It would, he knew it would help him win and get more deregulation passed, more tax cuts for the rich passed, and to ultimately help his rich donors to ensure that the corrupt system of Washington continues. So at the end of the day, I remember seeing a lot of posts from people from a lot of lifelong Democrats. A lot of them were more older Democrats basically saying you know, my problem with Trump is not political. It's the fact that he's a horrific human being that <laughs> is an authoritarian fascist. And yeah, yeah, he is a horrific human being and he is absolutely an authoritarian fascist. But my problems with him were also political. Yeah. And yours should be as well. Yeah. During the time that he was president, he signed executive orders for environmental deregulation, for deregulation in general... Uh, he signed a tax bill in which uh, 80% of all benefits after a decade will go to the top 1%. He repeatedly tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and when he wasn't able to, he repealed an important part of it, the individual mandate, which resulted in millions of people losing their health insurance. And right now... His administration is supporting a court case to overturn all of the Affordable Care Act, mm -hmm. which would take health care away from millions of people, including myself, by the way. Mm -hmm. So the policies of the Trump administration that are in line with the policies of the modern-day Republican Party are also terrible. Yeah. And when Trump is gone, there were still there will still be Republicans, even ones that didn't like Trump. There will still be Republicans that are fighting for those same policies. And we have got to fight against them. We can't just check out of politics. We can't just say, well, Trump is gone. Trump was the problem. I'm, I was tired of hearing about him. You know, that's it for politics for me. Like, it, 
I, I don't need to I don't need to care. I don't need to be an advocate anymore. No, do not do that because yeah. the Republican Party is still horrific. Yeah. The policies are still horrific and vicious and there's so much that needs to be fixed in this country. Yeah. And they're not only preventing potential solutions like a raising of the minimum wage or an expansion of healthcare, they're actively fighting against it and actively trying to dismantle the systems that are already in place in order to protect those, which yeah. by the way, are not nearly enough. And they're actively trying to not only dismantle the actual policy solutions that are already in place, they're also trying to dismantle the democratic systems, which allow these popular policies to be formed into law, like, like trying to flood the judiciary with, you know, very highly conservative minded originalist judges. That is a move which erodes the independence of the judiciary from the legislature. And it also, um, like it enables them to take these activist jurist actions to like strike down these policies as being unconstitutional, which aren't. Um, but yeah, but I think, I think your point there is really key. Like Trumpism is obviously terrible. And, but the thing is like where Trump's awfulness overlaps with policy is almost accidental. Like he's an evil demagogue for sure. Absolutely. We like having him in office is a real problem, um, for a lot of reasons, but, but notice like the things that he seems to care about. He seems to care about you know, immigration and, um, free trade and uh, like trade, American trade, um, and, and tax cuts and things like that. And on all those fronts where he's pushed to make progress, things have gotten worse. They've gotten bad. And, but, and the fact is that like on all those fronts, he has had a overwhelming support, not only from his base, but from elected Republican representatives. And I know Nathan Knight are not saying by any means that all conservatives, all Republicans are evil people. But the Republican Party platform, as it stands today, which by the way, is just a holdover from as it stood in 2016, which is a problem. But <laughs> as it stands today, is something that we should be actively working against. Even if you are a relatively moderate liberal, even if you're not a Democrat, there are serious problems in this platform that um, are, it are, is the official position of the Republican Party that make it an impossible party to maintain for the future of this country. Things like Nathan pointed out, like environmental deregulation, like in the platform, they say, quote, the essential fact of environmental policy is that year by year, the environment is improving. Like you can't- That's just wrong. It's just, just objectively wrong. Exactly, that fact, 
which they are then trying to roll over into policy, is incompatible with the survival of our species. They, in their platform, they, they say they want to teach American exceptionalism. That's right in their platform, that America is more virtuous and, more, and superior to the rest of the world. Yeah, um, we lead the world in like two things. Well, three things now, uh, and that is number of incarcerated individuals per capita, uh, number of mass shootings, and uh, number of people who died of COVID. Yep. And yet, and yet, we're exceptional in their platform. It's they specifically call out increased criminal penalties for insults on law enforcement officers. Uh, um, support the Second Amendment, end cashless bail, and keep criminals or dangerous criminals locked up until trial. That's a direct quote. End cashless bail. You, no matter what your crime, you're going to stay in jail until trial. And I and I do want to go back and just reiterate something that Michael said, which is the fact that I am not meaning to imply that people who consider themselves conservative or Republicans are bad people. Now, I think that most elected Republicans are not good people, mm -hmm. but I don't think that most conservative voters or Republican voters are necessarily bad people. I mean, and in many cases, even people that might be Republican voters or conservative voters actually do agree with Democrats on a lot of policies. Oh, I mean, yeah. Case in point, in Montana, uh, marijuana got more votes than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Case in point, Florida, minimum wage increase to $15 an hour, which, by the way, when Bernie Sanders first ta started talking about $15, uh, $15 an hour minimum wage in 2016, most of the country thought it was crazy, mm -hmm. including myself. Yeah. In 2016, I thought that that was a bit much. I thought that was insane. Yeah. But now, Florida, which went pretty comfortably towards Donald Trump, passed raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour with 60% of the vote. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a lot of them agree with the overall policies. I mean, you know, look at the yeah. polls on how many people want to get money out of politics. You think Republicans want to get money out of politics? Hell no. Mm -hmm. It's the conservatives on the Supreme Court that gave us Citizens United in the first place. It's Democrats in Congress that have tried to pass laws to basically to, to, to get money out of politics, to overturn or to, to, to create various systems of public funding of elections. Mm -hmm. That's the Democrats. Most people agree that we should get money out of politics. Conservative elected officials just don't. Yeah. And the thing is, they know that those issues are popular. And one trend I noticed as I was reading through the Republican Party platform is that they'll start with a headline that says something that is like clearly something that we support, like uh, what you just mentioned, Nathan. Um, this is this is a, a, a bold bullet point right in their platform. End crony capitalism and corporate welfare. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. Their recommendation for doing that? Deregulation. The thing is, like, they <laughs> they yeah. have, <laughs> they recognize that these things are popular, but often in service of these other 
priorities uh, totally betray the faithful execution of these these policy goals. So if you believe I mean, in things like, you know, a woman's right to choose and uh, LGBTQ rights with regard to marriage, like one of their stated goals is to overturn Obergefell. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that I think is really funny about this is that Democrats have a built-in advantage because of how universally popular their policies are and because of how easily felt the benefits of their policies are. But why do people still vote Republican? Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think a huge part of it is the fact that Democrats kind of suck at messaging. And Republicans are great at messaging. I mean, Mitch McConnell, like fucking Mitch McConnell, he had the backbone to argue that the tax cuts for the rich passed by Donald Trump would pay for themselves. And that tax bill, by the way, had like a 20% approval rating at the time. And Republicans mm -hmm. decided, eh, that's enough. And then when they didn't, when it blew a hole in the deficit, he called for cutting Social Security, which is one of the most popular programs in the country. Mm -hmm. And again, a completely unpopular policy idea. Still, he's like, eh, yeah, who cares? Yeah. And yet Medicare for all has like a, you know, has like 42% disapproval and 53% approval. And yet Democrats still won't fight for it. <laughs> like yet, the thing is yeah. Democrats just don't choose winning issues. And even when they do have winning issues that they're planning on implementing, they don't run on them. Mm -hmm. They don't spend all of their time talking about it. Yeah. I mean, again, if Joe Biden had mentioned minimum wage more times than he did, which was, I think, like the only really public time he really talked about it, in which people actually saw, was during that presidential debate. He might have won Florida, yeah, because they wanted that in Florida. Mm -hmm. So, the reason why I'm bringing this up is not to say like screw Democrats, let me rail against Democrats, let me shit on Democrats the way I like to. I mean, yes, I do like shitting on Democrats, <laughs> but, but that's not why I'm doing it this time. The point is, we have a chance. To flip two Senate seats in Georgia. Yeah. And if we flip two Senate seats in Georgia, then we can get that $15 an hour minimum wage. Mm -hmm. All right. That is something that even that, that both progressives and corporatists within the Democratic Party agree on is $15 an hour minimum wage. And if we take control of the Senate, then we can get that passed. Yeah. So the two candidates, Warnock and Ossif, need to run on that like yeah. need to need to bring up minimum wage every time they walk into a goddamn restaurant. Mm -hmm. Like when they go out to eat or I guess get takeout cause it's a pandemic. They need to, they need to like take their food from the, from the person who, who's, who's bringing them the food out and say, Oh, thank you. Here's your money. Uh, we should raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Like that should be <laughs> every, every single thing that they say, every single 
political rally that they do, every single video that they start should begin and end with, hey, I'm for a $15 an hour minimum wage. Yeah. All right. That is how you win. Yeah. Yeah. My final thought on this matter is, to your point, we have to get, we have to take those seats in Georgia. There's just no choice. We must do it. And we must keep the pressure on in future elections. We must stay politically engaged because Donald Trump was a symptom, not the cause. So now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Asshat of, of the, the week. week. So, Nathan, who is our asshat this week? Well, our asshat this week is our favorite Southern Belle Adu Declare, <laughs> Lindsey Graham. Oh, excellent. Back again, Lindsey, for round Back two. Back again, Lindsey. And actually, I, we, I think we only had him as our asshat like maybe four weeks ago. Yeah, well... You know, overachiever. I know he's doing great things out there. Just really ass hatting it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So what? So what did Lindsey Graham do? Make it on again. So, uh, you know how we just had a presidential election? Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, we haven't talked about it much, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, not much, but like it, it, it did happen. So you know, um, so there was uh, there was an interesting thing that happened where uh, Georgia, which is a solidly red state, at least it used to be, um, flipped blue somehow. Um, now, of course, the, the somehow is that it, it, it got more, more votes. Um, but Lindsey Graham actually had a, uh, a better way for Republicans mm. to win the election and to win future elections in Georgia. You mean a better way aside from improving their policies to be more popular? Uh, actually, actually it was, it had nothing to do with that. Oh, in wow. Fact. No, he, he. That's just that's how clever it is. He didn't even have to do any self-reflection or self-improvement. Hmm. That's the best part of this. Uh, he actually pressured the Georgia Secretary of State, who, by the way, is a Republican, mm -hmm. to throw out legal ballots. And, and basically the argument that he used was, if you are getting uh, a lot of ballots from a specific area in which you are able to find discrepancies that justify throwing out ballots so like you know discrepancies with signatures or any number of tiny ass things that can make you throw out a ballot um not only should you throw out those ballots you should throw out all ballots from that precinct mm. good lord god that's so illegal that's so so <laughs> illegal and totally uh, immoral let's be clear yeah <laughs> oh my god it's, uh. He just wants to blatantly undermine our the integrity of our elections. God, it's almost how? as if they're projecting when they talk yeah. about Democrats wanting to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, God, how far Lindsey Graham has fallen. This is the same guy who in 2016 warned us about Donald Trump. <laughs> he he said he's he's a bigot, he's a racist, you know, he he's a religious bigot. Uh, he even said that if we if we nominate Trump, we're going to lose and we're going to deserve it. How far has this guy? <laughs> I mean, I feel like when you're when your highest, most progressive liberal achievement is the condemnation of a clear racist and orange baby. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the lowest political bar in history. <laughs> yeah. 
But anyway, so congratulations to Lindsey Graham. I do declare. For being our asshat of the week. All right. So now we have a very special guest. He is a data analyst and a, uh, I guess you could call him a friend of the pod and and a brother (laughs) of the pod, really, uh, Joe Bloom. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, you said there were a few disclaimers you wanted to make before we get started? Yeah, I do. I am obliged to disclaim that uh, I'm currently working for CrowdStrike Inc., which is a cybersecurity firm. And I just need to state that whatever views I express here are my own and don't represent the views of my employer. Uh, And in fact, the work I do for them has nothing to do with elections. And I don't work with any of their state or federal government clients. So it's pretty orthogonal to this discussion, but I do (laughs) have to mention it. Awesome. Yeah, Yeah, we mention it every week. So, so, um, so let's talk about the election, Joe. So uh, f- from what I have understand, you have been doing a lot of personal analysis of potential voting irregularities, um, many of which have been alleged by the president. Um, so uh, out of curiosity, uh, how how much grounds does the president's claims um, have to stand on currently? Spe- specifically related to things like the dominion, the claim that Dominion voting systems have been systemically hacked to uh, flip votes from Trump to Biden. I think like that's the to me, that's the big one. You know, like literally every other claim that Trump has made, even if they work their way through the courts, uh, couldn't add up to an electoral victory for him. So to me, those are all moot. But yeah. um, Yeah. So this one, like is the only one with even the scale to potentially have an impact. So that's why I'm curious about it. It's a biggie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the way I come to this, uh, to answer your question, Nathan, I I don't think there's any reason to believe there's plausibility to any of those claims. Uh, I haven't seen anyone in good faith actually attempt to present any evidence. Uh, So (laughs) that would be kind of the... Uh, barrier to entry for that. (laughs) Um, But the way that I'm coming at this, so you mentioned my work. I do work in data analytics and I have for about 10 years. And most of that time I've been working in higher education. And um, that's on the administrative staff side. So I'm not, I'm not an academic by profession, but I certainly am by nature. (laughs) And a lot of my interests are around human cognition and kind of what bad cognitive creatures we are in a reliance (laughs) on, um, you know, mental biases and heuristics and the flaws in our reasoning abilities and those sorts of things. So I try and be a, a cautious optimist. But so when I see stuff like this, you know, I think that in general, um, people tend to have a lot of biases Mm. and, and I mean that in in the cognitive way in terms of their uh, thought processes are geared towards things that are familiar to them or that key into something that they already endorse. Um, And we also see a lot of motivated reasoning and that's 
different from just confirmation bias because confirmation bias I've, I've heard you guys discuss it before but that's basically the tendency mm. to seek out information that um confirms the conclusion that you already hold uh motivated reasoning would be more like the gymnastics that our brains can do to actually incorporate uh contradictory or uh mm. you know disconfirming information and somehow make that seem like it backs up our case. Um, so I actually, you know, we can take this where you guys want to take it. Um, this experience for me was specifically driven by the fact that someone I care about shared uh, an article with me that was, um, you know, putting forth some of these claims. Um, so I've had the chance to dig into them a little bit. Uh, but I also think that there's some useful things to observe about communicating with folks on contentious issues when they're coming to it from a different perspective than you are. So, so just to quickly summarize the article itself, and I, I don't want to delve too much into the details because there's no point to give these things any lift. <laughs> um, yeah. But the basic idea of the article um, was claiming that not only, well, it really didn't bear on voter fraud per se that much. Mm. Really what it was talking about was wholesale election rigging by yeah. inbuilt features and capabilities of the software and systems that we use to conduct our elections. So that's mm. more broad than, you know, taking your, taking somebody else's ballot and fraudulently yeah. voting it as your own. Um, which, which from what I've seen makes people really worried. Like the, the, that's obviously a terrifying claim. Like if it is true that we have this systemic, uh, like changing of results of our election, that's obviously a, a, uh, a fact claim that we'd want to take seriously if there were evidence for that. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a really important point because that kind of gives you, uh, an opening, you know, this, this came to me and it didn't strike me as particularly sound right off the bat. But on the other hand, the core concern is completely legitimate, right? Like it would yeah. be, if there were something like this going on, it would be, you know, an unparalleled imperative that we get to the bottom of it. So mm. it's important to yeah. me not to impugn people's, uh, you know, concern. I think, just because someone may not be as savvy or have the kind of uh, what I would call information hygiene skills that we all need mm. to develop, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, implicate their motives. So what types of things did you find when you were exploring the claims? So when I read the article, um, just to kind of apply a little bit of a rubric to this. Basically, I was looking at it from the perspective of who is this coming from? What is it claiming? Mm. And what evidence does it provide? So this doesn't necessarily generalize to anyone who might share, uh, you know, theories along these lines. But it took five minutes of going to the author's Twitter to see that he's a <laughs> QAnon D 
devotee and doesn't seem like the kind of individual who, who thinks it's incumbent upon someone to provide evidence to make uh, <laughs> an allegation or a claim. Um, the claim itself um, can give a little more detail around what that was in this case. Um, the claim was basically that some of these software systems that are used for administering elections and calculating votes have built into them capabilities to return a realistic looking but pre, uh, pre-specified election result, if that makes sense. Um, mm, yeah. So rather than saying it's going 90% for Biden, which no one would really believe, they would do a pretty good job at doing a nice fake literally every vote is replaced with with a fake version that is yeah and there hmm. there was some sophistication to the um methodological outline that they were promoting they were there's there's been this theory going back years i first saw uh you know discussion of it around the time of the 2016 election but i have no reason to think that's the earliest it came up uh, but it's this this theory of fractional voting is what people who propagate it call it. Uh, I think a, a more accurate term, just coming from a statistics background, uh, would be ballot weighting. And yeah. that's basically the concept that, say you had uh, 50 votes for Biden and 50 votes for Trump, what they're claiming these systems do is, quote-unquote, behind the scenes assign each of those Trump votes a less than one weight, so 0.7, for instance, and each of the Biden votes a greater than one weight, 1.4, for instance. Uh, So that when you add them up, you know, you're not actually counting votes, you're summing vote weights um, in such a manner as to, uh, you know, sway the election. Or sway, sway sounds more honorable. Uh, manipulate the, <laughs> the results of the election. So those were the yeah. those were the claims. So so far, we had a source who I didn't personally find particularly trustworthy. Uh, we had that as the claim essentially. Um, and as far as what evidence was offered in this particular article, there really wasn't any. Um, you know, this, this author was relying on hearsay. I would say he was uh, trying to exploit um, the distrust that some people have in the intelligence community, name-dropping mm. members of the Obama administration, intelligence community, for instance. Um, and the one that I, I really got a foothold on, the most concrete thing in this article, uh, was the author described having seen a, quote, screenshot of the configuration manual for the central tabulator. (laughs) So Hmm. there's a lot of ways that you could go about trying to gather information that, that relates to this claim. Uh, I would say for your general audience, there would be no reason not to go to the department of Homeland security, cybersecurity infrastructure, 
Security Administration rumor control website. <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> um, where they address... How depressing is it that they needed a rumor control site? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I should say up until about a day ago when Chris Krebs, who, Krebs, who is the director of that agency, was fired, uh, that would have been a great place to go. Who knows yeah. how long that site will remain. I have screenshotted it in the meantime, so we have it <laughs> preserved. Right. The first thing I thought through was how would this actually work? Um, you know, I work with data systems every day, data applications, and that's essentially what this voting system is, right? It's, it's a suite of software and hardware, uh, and most of what I looked into was in relation to Dominion, but they're all the same basic product typology, um, software and hardware that enables you to create ballots. Obviously then people vote using those ballots and then it enables you to scan, count, and tabulate the results of your election. So in order to do this weighting scheme, there's basically only three ways that you could do it. Um, essentially what happens when you scan one of these ballots or you're scanning a batch of ballots is that they come in and then as a record for that individual person's ballot, they get written to a database. So, uh, well, I should say, and then when you would be going to tabulate the results, your software is going to be issuing a query that database to aggregate the results of those individually stored records. So that brings us to the three ways you could go about doing it. Um, you could manipulate the ballot on the way to the database. So if you were to do that, you would have your ingest logic scan the ballot and check who was chosen as the person's preference and then write to the database your weighted value rather than just writing the record, which would count as one. You could do it uh, in your query logic. So, and I think that's more along the lines of what this claim was, because it was, remember the central tabulator, which just sounds <laughs> like a Aldous Huxley thing. Um, yeah. That's like the thermal oscillator of voting Exactly, <laughs> yes. So to do that, essentially either you would need to store the weight in the database along with the votes, in which case you'd retrieve your tallies by taking the sum of the products of the weights and the votes, mm -hmm. right? So you would take one vote for Biden, apply the weight 1.4, and you know, if you had two votes, then you'd get 2.8 and so forth. Uh, and then the other way you could do it is not have the weights stored in the database, but have them in the code, essentially. Um, so to assess the plausibility of this, you would want to consider whether anyone is looking at these systems before they use them. Yeah. Uh, and that is in fact the case. Uh, and these systems go through certification processes for use in different states. And they, they are not open source systems, so you can't go 
look at the source code and see what it's doing. Um, which, you know, that could be another discussion. I, I would be strongly in favor of trying to adopt systems like that. It makes them more secure, mm -hmm. although the intuitive thing people think is that it would make them less secure. But there's yeah. many reasons why that's not the case. Well, um, computers are scary, so. <laughs> but, but the key is that the artifacts of doing this would be obvious to someone who is doing a technical review of the product. Mm. Um, and they would also be obvious to the people who are operating the system. So that yeah. was the next angle I considered. Uh, I thought to myself, you know, as we build data pipelines and data transformation logic, how do we test it? And the most kind of intuitively easy and effective way to test it is to use a set of known inputs, which therefore you know what the outputs should be if the program is doing what it is intended to do. And then you run it and you compare it to what you know the output should be. So given that the that one concrete thing out of this article was a reference to the uh, infamous screenshot of the config manual, um, I put my Google skills to work and I went and <laughs> looked at the config manual. So I think that's an important thing that people take away from this is you should second guess the implied secrecy around things that you're uh, being exposed to. Because often there's an implication of secrecy and there isn't actual secrecy. So in a circumstance like this, the manuals for just about every commercially available software are easy to find. Yeah, because they want the users to be able to use them. Exactly. <laughs> so you search for the name of the software, user manual, uh, and a trick if people Google foo isn't quite at that level, if you type the word type T-Y-P-E colon P-D-F, it doesn't search the internet, it searches all <laughs> the PDFs on the internet and gives you the one that you're looking for. So that's what I did and I went and looked at the manual. And in particular, I wanted to see what recommendations were in the manual for uh, logic and accuracy testing. There is, in fact, uh, and if you, if you guys want to include anything in the show notes, I'm happy to send stuff along. Um, but I'll just refer quickly to, let me read the name of it because it's a mouthful. This is from Dominion Voting. The Democracy Suite ImageCast Central User Guide. So ImageCast Central is the central tabulator. Sorry, I can't say that <laughs> with a straight face. <laughs> um, but this is the software that allows you to um, scan the ballots and aggregate the results. Uh, and they have a section, it's section 6.2, logic and accuracy testing. And I was heartened to find that they prescribe pretty much exactly the same procedure as what I was just talking about using in data work. So they recommend that you take a batch of test ballots for which you know, because you've filled them out as tests, what the exact results should be, assuming that the system is operating according to how you intended to configure it. So you might take 50 uh, ballots that vote for Biden, 50 that vote for Trump, 
And if any of this ballot waiting or quote unquote fractional voting stuff were going on, you would immediately know because you would run them through and then you would tabulate the results and you would not get a 50-50 split. I didn't, uh, it didn't, frankly, maybe I wasn't being skeptical enough, but it didn't take a <laughs> whole lot more than that for me to be convinced that this was pretty implausible. Yeah. Um, but just as to be devil's advocate for a moment uh, and just be a little bit more charitable to folks who might come across this kind of thing, there are some poorly named functions in these uh, <laughs> software systems. You know, so for example, um, there's a config sequence or, you know, documentation on how to configure your scanning setup. And as anyone in technology would imagine, there's a bunch of options that relate to error handling. For instance, say you put in a ballot, you go to scan it, and it's got a bunch of stray marks, or it's, you know, there's no, there's no bubbles filled in, for instance. As, as uh, Nathan mentioned before, there's a variety of errors that you can make when filling out a ballot. Uh, they're pretty garden variety, and we deal with them in every election cycle. Um, so you have options for how to handle those and those are options like stopping the batch or marking them for adjudication and that kind of thing. But, uh, it, you do have to read this stuff a little bit closely though. So, you know, some of the, some of the types of errors that this software lets you configure for, um, are for instance, overvoted contests. Now, do you think that if you were someone who was very concerned about these things and a little bit warm to the idea that there was widespread manipulation going on, do you think that an overvoted contest sounds a little bit uh, suspicious? Yeah. You mean like yeah. too many votes for a particular candidate? Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. think it's that much of a stretch that, you know, if you stopped reading there, you'd, you'd have yeah. an icky feeling. Right. So, yeah. but if you read closely, overvoted contests is a setting where you say what you want to do when one or more of the contests on the ballot has more votes or more bubbles filled in than it should. Right. So, if you filled in Biden and Trump, you have an overvoted ballot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's other things for things like called cross votes. Ooh, no, we don't want Oof. we don't want people crossing us that, with their votes. <laughs> that must be where you vote for one party for a presidential election and another party for gubernatorial, and then all of a sudden the vote doesn't count, right? <laughs> no, it's when you write in the cross. <laughs> when you vote for Jesus, <laughs> yeah. draw. I mean, I've been seeing a lot of Jesus signs in people's yards, so I'm assuming that's Jesus what doing. 2020. I I haven't been sure exactly what they're trying to get across with that. Um, <laughs> just to to put a bow on that, a cross vote is for a primary election, when you have an open primary where someone can cast their ballot either in the Democratic or the Republican primary, and they've done a cross vote if they cast. Uh, votes for both races, 
right? Yeah. So that could be easy to do, right? If you don't quite understand how it's going. I think most places ask you which ballot you want and give you the one that goes with that. But this is software that's meant to be generally useful across a broad range of types of elections, mm. right? So there are, it, like any software, it has options that aren't relevant to your use case, right? Yeah. So I encourage people to read. Uh, <laughs> I encourage people to up their uh, searching skills. Um, I also encourage you to use resources other than Google uh, mm. and also to do things like signing out of your browser or using incognito mode or private mode in another browser or clearing your cookies. Because I think we should all be well aware at this point that the internet by and large gives us what it thinks we want. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are trying to undertake, you know, a little personal investigation with as dispassionate and matter of fact manner as you can, uh, that won't serve you well. So, uh, mm. and it's, it's also the case that you might not want to do a couple searches like that and then have your YouTube flooded with Alex Jones Infowars, not that he's on there anymore, but you know, <laughs> these, these things pick up on that. So yeah. I'm, I definitely made the mistake of watching a Tucker Carlson the other day and my goodness, I guess I'm voting for Trump now. <laughs> yeah. It should raise your eyebrow, I think, Yeah, you know, and with uh, digital fingerprinting, it's not necessary anymore that you be logged into these systems. Um, but by logging out, clear your cash, your cookies, start up a private session, you will get, for the most part, the actual internet as opposed yeah. to the little porthole to the world that we all tend to look through every day. So to recap on the, um, on the actual method for how this would work, basically in order for, in order for these systems to be manipulated in this in this way that is being contended you would have to have in all these states that are using them like committed civil servants who are doing the setup and test of these systems be willing to falsify or disregard or some other way um in, in addition to actually making, in addition to actually like making the manipulations to the software, which there's no evidence for whatsoever, that you would also have to have the complicity of, of a wide array, array of people that um, are professionals in their field or civil servants or something of that, of that group. And they'd have to all keep it secret except for, you know, the, the one person that tweets at Trump or is a QAnon person or something like that. Um, and be willing so have to, to do it while having a, an election observer watching over their shoulder Yeah, uh, from each True. campaign, presumably. Although I didn't hear yeah. Biden uh, calling Antifa to go watch the polls. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so some of this does turn on your worldview. If yeah, that seems exactly. plausible to you, that is a hard thing to disentangle. Yeah. Um, but to me, not, that seems utterly implausible. Yeah. I guess my thought is, 
is twofold on top of that. Like as when I run, when I write and run queries, if I'm exploring a new data set, I do it just that I explore the data set. And so like, if I were looking at a set of, um, voting data, I would not only sum the products of the votes, like the method that we, we discussed, and it's probably how they actually tabulate votes, but I would probably, um, group by candidate and count as well. And the difference between the count by candidate and the sum product of the votes would expose any, you know, would, would in, 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 in the aggregate stage expose, um, problems in the underlying data. So, so like, like at any level we could check this. And on top of this, there are, we have every paper ballot that was used, um, which means that not only should we have based on our discussion here today, confidence in the systems that are tabulated, that are, that are, um, recording this data, tabulating it and aggregating it and, and giving us outputs. But also if you're if like in these states where they're doing audits like Georgia and recounts, um, and they're finding no discrepancies that should give us confidence that we can also get to the truth of the matter because we have the records, we have the actual votes. All right. We have been talking to data analyst and uh, brother to the pod, uh, Joe Bloom. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure guys. Thanks for having me. And with that, it is time for to round out our episode with our highlights. So, Nathan, what's your highlight this week? Uh, my highlight this week is actually a highlight to be, mm. uh, which is the fact that I am finally going to be moving into the house yes. this Friday, which means that the next time I record, uh, it will be in the new house. Oh, that's so awesome, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Congratulations. Um, that's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of work to do, a lot of moving. Uh, I, I am kind of dreading the fact that I'm going to have to lift a bunch of really heavy furniture up three, three, three flights of stairs. Mm. Well, if it wasn't COVID, I'd help you move, but, ah, uh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jackass. <laughs> yeah, what sure. about you, Michael? <laughs> um, so my highlight this week is the same as my highlight last week, but updated because now Taylor Bloom's live stream concert is only two days away. And so that has been <laughs> making me so excited for two weeks now. I cannot wait to hear uh, and watch the show. I'm just so excited. Um, if you're interested in listening to Taylor Bloom's live stream concert, uh, you can go on YouTube, search Taylor Bloom, go to his YouTube page. He's got an announcement on there with all the details and everything. So with that, thank you so much for listening to the Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week.